uh, today. You know, our God, in your introduction there, our God has established all the boundaries, all the boundaries of creation. I mean, I love to think about it. The boundaries that God has established, uh, not only of creation, but history and life. By his glorious wisdom and power, God has created and established everything that exists. Nothing lies outside of his eternal plan. Our omniscient God never said, I don't know, or I didn't know that. I find myself saying that a lot. Do you? I didn't know that. And things I even once knew. It's as bad as name, rank, and social security number on a good day. Nothing lies outside his eternal plan. He establishes all the boundaries. Now, that's where we're going with this, and I want you to find great comfort in this. I mean, think of the boundaries in the physical realm. We, we muse on them from time to time, don't we? I mean, the distance the earth is from the sun, 93 million miles, it's just perfect. Any further away, we'd freeze to death. You thought you were cold this winter. We're a little further away, we'd be gone, right? Any closer, your blood would boil. My mother used to say, you kids, my blood's boiling. Well, not really, but it would boil, right? And then how about the atmosphere, this wonderful blanket that God surrounds the earth with? This little atmosphere that's a number of miles, that's it? 21% oxygen, uh, it's, it's just perfect. 78% nitrogen, perfect, perfect. 23 and a half degrees tilt for the seasonal changes. And right on time. You know, some of you like uh, Broadway, right? The sun will come up tomorrow, right? Some of you are singing it, right? <laughs> it's because God said after Noah, seed time and harvest, day and the seasons would continue. That's a statement of God's faithfulness. And the moon and the wonder of the moon and the pole on the oceans. You know, if God didn't create the moon and that gravitational pull like a slingshot going around the earth, you know what? The last place you would go in the summer would be the New Jersey Shore, the Florida coastline. It would be so wretched and stink of the dead stuff that just laying there that that would be the last place you would go. But God has the tidal effects, and twice a day, the tides come in, and they wash all that dead junk out, and here they come again, and there they go out, and God scrubs the shorelines. It's beautiful, and the, the beauty of color and majesty. God, even your own height. You know, I was thinking about that. You know, like, uh, you only grow up uh, for, my mother's shrinking. She used to be five, two eyes of blue. She used to sing that. But I go like, Mom, I think you're 4'8". You know, you're going like, <laughs> like shrink. But, you know, even our height, right? You know, our diet affects that. But we're, we're not like 20 feet tall, lumbering around. Just perfect. How about our eyesights? We've been thinking about that with Faithy lately with our surgery. The eye is so amazing. I told Todd Harvey and some other ophthalmologists, if I were an ophthalmologist, I'd hang a plaque on my office wall in Psalm 94.9. Does he who formed the eye. Does he not see? Oh, there's a world of theology there that God <laughs> makes that exact. And if it's off just a little bit, you're like John. He can't even read his music. I mean, it's just incredible. <laughs> this, the, and then the ears, have you ever noticed they funnel forward? You know, and there are two in one mouth. My father used to say, that's instructive. 
You know, one, <laughs> keep it, keep it, uh, yap it, go with the yap it. Went more or less, I mean, it's amazing. Just fearfully and wonderfully made the organs and systems of our body. The, God has established all that. You think you did? I don't think so. You couldn't even write your name in cursive until you were in third grade. Maybe you did it in first grade. You were a prodigy. But you didn't know anything. You didn't know anything the first number of years. Somebody had to change your bottom and shove a spoon in your mouth. And we just show up, and here we are. We gaze, and we take it for granted, the beauty. And now the flowers are going to start to come up, and all the beauty of that. And it's a pride. God establishes all of that. I just want you to be utterly amazed at it all the time. I'm like, oh, okay, spring is coming. Here it is. There's a robin. I saw a robin this week. I go, look at that. I mean, you think they went to school to learn how to fly south? Uh, where do they go? I don't know where they go. But they don't do that. God programs their little brain and get out of here. It's going to be a tough winter. And then he brings them back. Faith and I saw one. We think that one's pregnant. There are going to be little robins around here. Amazing. I hope that you stand amazed at the wonder and the glory of God in creation. But history is the same. God's not just the spectator watching the flow of events wondering, Joe, I wonder what's going to happen today. I, I got news for you. He knows the end from the beginning. And uh, all the way through, he's designed a plan that includes even the acts of limited free will moral agents, sinful agents. It's amazing. Psalm 74, write this down. I don't know if I put it on your sheet, but you look at it later. Psalm 74, 16 and 17 on the boundaries. The psalmist says, yours is the day, yours also is the night. You've established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth you have made summer and winter. Some of you need to know that after going through this winter. Wait a minute, summer and winter, winter does end, and God's, there it is. And now it's coming into summer. And in a few weeks, don't you know, it's our way, you're going to come in and tell me how it's too hot out there. Oh my, where's the air conditioning? And that's just our way, right? I want you to marvel at that. It ought to be bedrock in your heart because God establishes all things in his eternal counsel and plan and you ought to find the greatest security in that. We're not free agents just roaming around like, uh, you, you know, doing our own thing. God is in charge of all things. I love that. His sovereignty is a soft pillow for a weary day and a weary night. I can rest that he's in charge. Like the guy said, Lord, you never sleep. I'm going to sleep. Since you don't sleep, you're in charge. I'm sleeping. Not bad. Not bad. Well, uh, we can know the, uh, uh, because all this is true on your sheet, God can tell us in his word what the future will be because it's certain. It's certain. It's not random. Gee, I hope this, I hope this, yeah, I never said that. We say that. Well, I hope it doesn't rain Saturday so we can have a picnic. God never said that. He knows it. He organized, he, he is in control of all things. Well, because that's true, certain dates in history are forever cemented in our memories. Forever. Now, these, this is my memory, giving you a pulling back the curtain here. October the 12th. On October the 12th, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean's blue. Did you ever memorize that? I must have had, Susan, I must have had good literature teachers. <laughs> what is that? Columbus discovered America, so-called, right? I know some disagree. But for, uh, October the 12th. How about July 4th? Philadelphia signing the Declaration. How about, how about June 6th? The 6th of June, D-Day. 
Faith's father was there and, and, and entering Europe with, uh, to put down Hitler. And, you know. How about July 20th, 69? Uh, Watched him land on the moon. Neil Armstrong, small, big, wow, I saw that, wow. May 15th, Faith and I, this day she showed up and allowed me to marry her. They're in the city of brotherly love. How about that? Still amazed by that. And her mom and dad are still amazed by that. But uh, <laughs> that's grace. September 11th is like that, etched forever in our mind, is it not? It is. It's a game changer. However, a far more important date than any of those above is April the 6th, 32 AD. And that's why I'm preaching this today, the Sunday before Palm Sunday. Did you notice what the date is today? It's April the 6th. I go like, when I'm studying and musing my, I go like, Sunday's the 6th. I have to preach this on this week, not next. And if we can trust careful biblical scholarship, then this date is the date that God had designed and told Daniel about. 483 years. Now we're talking 173,880 days. God said this is going to happen to the very day. Now that's not bad, is it? That's pretty incredible. You think God knows the end of the beginning? I think so. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt. That was the ancient symbol of a man entering and beginning his kingdomship. He's king. We see it in the Old Testament in places. They're riding on a colt. Very different than America, uh, the inauguration day and going down Pennsylvania Avenue and all that. But in that culture and in that time, that was the king coming to his people on the very day, and we call that day Palm Sunday. You won't find that in the Scripture, and on Palm Sunday, Jesus. We call it because they cut pine, pine branches, laid them down, put their cloaks over uh, the donkey, and in front of the donkey, like the red carpet treatment we think of in our culture, it was the king coming into the city on this day that was ordained by God, before the foundation of the world, told to Daniel right to the very day, 173,880th day, to that very day, extraordinary day, Jesus comes offering himself as king. Seeing afresh our boundaries setting God, especially in securing our redemption, I suggest you should quiet our souls, knowing that all the things of our lives are in his hands. And they're in the hands of a compassion. He couldn't be any more compassionate, and he couldn't be any wiser. That's our God. And so I sing that old song, and I do that so often, I find myself safe in the arms of Jesus. That's an amazing thing. And I, as I look at this, I'm going to make two observations. You see the proposition of this long-awaited day that ought to comfort our often feeble hearts. And I don't know which is greater. I mean, I wrestled. Is it, uh, is it, first of all, God's amazing timetable? I mean, that is pretty remarkable. I make a schedule and can hardly keep up with it and have to rearrange it. And I, you, you know how we are, right? God makes a timetable and one day after the next. after, And that is utterly and totally amazing. And it reveals that God has everything in his hands, even you, even me. And that, that's something great about that, I think. But is that greater than the reality, the second observation, that here Jesus comes in and it is a strange setting. Millions of people and the king is coming in on this anointed day and he burst into tears. Now, to most men, 
okay? When women cry, we don't know what to do. We go like, well, and, and sometimes I found out they're tears of joys. They're tears of joys. Those are good tears. Yeah, I see those sometimes. <laughs> but it's the other tears, right? And I don't know which is the greater. The fact on this day, the timetable of God is revealed right to the very day, or the fact that the king comes in and that it peels back his, shows the heart of God weeping. I mean, our God in all his glory weeps for sinful men and women like us. I can't get my head around that. I can't even begin to describe the God that we serve. I mean, we all know John 3.16, for God so loved the word, he agapazo the world that he gave. And here's Jesus weeping. He's not high-fiving it. It's not like, hey, I won the election. <laughs> we're in. We're going to have the great ball tonight. Got eight of them around town. Boy, we're going to party hardy all night. He's weeping. Wow. I don't know. I, I've got to meditate more on that. There are two observations of this long-awaited day that ought to comfort our often feeble hearts. And aren't our hearts feeble? For the Lord our God is not only all-wise... Not only has an all-wise eternal plan, but more, he's utterly compassionate. And the first observation, God's amazing timetable reveals he has everything, everything in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. We used to sing that in high school, right? But look at that. And that means you. You're in the picture here. So am I. We're not somehow outside of it. Daniel 9 and, and Carol read Luke 19. This, this A was no ordinary day. No ordinary day. You know, sometimes we do that. I, I encourage my kids, don't live your life like you have an endless supply of days. You know, sometimes they'll talk about, that's eh, a throwaway day. I got news to you, there's no such thing as a throwaway day. You don't get them at the end. Hey, Lord, remember those days? Can, I, can you tack those on? Remember Hezekiah? You know, like, we, you know, no. And sometimes we'll ask, hey, what's new? Don't we ask, hey, what's new today? I'll, I'll do that with David. Hey, he'll ask me, Dad, what's new? You know, what's anything happening new? Well, we often, I, this was something brand new on this day. The king, in that long-awaited period of time, according to the prophecy of Daniel, is entering the city of Jerusalem. I mean, this is the culmination of Christmas, right? Glory to God in the highest on peace. He's talking about peace and goodwill and, and why God has given his son. This is the day here. He entered a public ministry for three years and, and, and taught and was God in the presence and in flesh uh, of the disciples and the crowds. This was the day. Look at one. Ever since Luke 9.51, Jesus has been making his final journey to Jerusalem. I must needs go to Jerusalem and suffer. That's why he came. He's ever aware of that, even as God as man trying to understand the two natures of God. And you discover in reading this, when you read the Gospels, he's fully in charge. Don't ever see him as a wimpy victim, sort of. He knows exactly where he is on the exact day, and he knew the Scriptures forward and backwards in his humanity, and he knew exactly, exactly. And the only reason he tried to hush the crowds on after a miracle or something is because the crowds would have just 
uh, you, you know how crowds are, just might have been overwhelming and then would have hastened his death prematurely. So he'd say, go there. Uh, if it was far away, then you evangelize them. Remember the Gadareans and, and others. And, uh, but he'd say, don't say it because he's aware of the swell of the crowd which would have brought about his execution, humanly speaking, prior to the day that was ordained by God. But this day is completely and utterly different. This day, and on number two, Jesus was fully known to the Lord. He instructs the two men to bring the colt to him in Luke 19, 29. Jesus knew the prophecy of Zechariah 9, 9 was to be filled. His mind is searching through the scriptures, and he's coming to the end of the fulfillment of all the prophetic utterances. And on this day, Zechariah 9, 9, you should be aware of this because it pinpoints this Palm Sunday. And I'll quote it to you, Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble, and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And so the Lord, knowing all things, and knowing the time, though we, we don't always know what time it is, even during the day, or in the prophetic plan of God, Jesus knew all of that, instructs them, and they bring the, uh, the fowl of a donkey for him to ride on. Well, B, this exact date had been given to Daniel almost 500 years earlier. Uh, Carol read Daniel 9, 24. Seventy weeks. Weeks is uh, King James. It's 77. And in the, in the Jewish mind, a seven could be a period of seven days or it could be seven years. And when you look at this, it's a period of seven, 70 years are decreed upon your people. Seven 70s, or 490 years. And notice the words here in Daniel 4.24, because we are part of the church age, the mystery, Ephesians 2. Uh, we are not Israel per se. Uh, Romans 11, God has set apart Israel as a nation because they rejected the Lord, and he went then to the Gentiles. There's no Jew or Gentile during this mystery, the bride of Christ, age that will end, I believe, at the rapture of the church. And then that last 70 week, will known as the tribulation period, the book of Revelation, will complete God's dealing with the nation of Israel. Now, Daniel is talking to the Jew here. Look at what he says. Seventy weeks are decreed for your people, that's the Jews, right? And for the holy city, that's Jerusalem. We don't have dealings with the city of Jerusalem. You understand that. He's talking about the Jew. This is not the church. Not the church, which is the mystery, which is the gap of an indefinite period of time until that last seven-year period. A week is a period of seven years. 77 equals 490 years. And six things, Daniel is told, would be done for Israel by the end of this time. Uh, now is a gap, if you will, known as the church age. The first three in Daniel uh, have to do with sin. God will finish the transgression of Israel. And he goes on to describe three others dealing with sin. And you look around, that's never happened yet. They've never been fulfilled. Have you noticed the end of sin? Don't look at the paper today if you think that, because it's the same sin. They're just different faces. 
It's never been the end of sin or the end of transgression. And then B, the latter three have to do with the kingdom, that God would bring in everlasting righteousness. Have you seen that? I dare say you've not seen that either. These things are still future. Well, the key, and see, God's clock began ticking from the decree uh, to rebuild Jerusalem, and we find that in Nehemiah 2. You study your Bible like a Berean, passage with passage, Nehemiah 2, 1 to 8. It's exactly dated when Artaxerxes gave the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Now, this date is well established. If you have Encyclopedia Britannica somewhere in your basement, we used to all have those, right? They stopped printing it in the hard form. But you can look at even there. This date is well established, and it's even in Encyclopedia Britannica. And it's March the 14th, 445 B.C. Now, during the first 49 years, that's seven years, there are three segments, seven weeks, then 62 weeks, you add it together, total 69 weeks, the gap, and then the last week as you look at that. Well, during the first 49 years, Jerusalem, the city, was rebuilt. Then after another 62 weeks, or 489, three years, the event is told, and here it is, the anointed one comes, the Messiah, the Christ. Christ means, in Greek, anointed. The Messiah, Messiah, the Hebrew word for Christ, or anointed one. That is, that Jesus would come. That's Daniel 9.25. That's uh, Luke 19.24. That's the Zechariah 9.9. Note now, and here this is important, I think, the Jews use the lunar calendar. There's a lunar calendar. There's a solar calendar. The Jews, and you can look through all the Old Testament, they used a 30-day month. So a year had 360 days, not 364 and a quarter, which is based on the solar. Some of you wonder, like, why does Easter keep moving? Why can't it just be like Christmas? The reason is, is is based on the Jewish calendar of 30 days and trying to coincide that now with a solar calendar and and Passover then moves. And so that's how that works. It moves within those six-week period on the solar calendar. What he's, and so you calculate using the Jewish 360 days in a year, and then you add for leap years, 160, 116 of them, and add only one year when you go from 1 B.C. to 1 A.D. No, there was never a zero year. You're like, what year? Well, it's zero. You know, like, uh, remember that when it became 2000 and we were all afraid all our computers and the whole world would stop and, oh, no, what are we going to do? You know, like, there was no zero year. It went from 1 B.C. Uh, to uh, A.D., that is the year of our Lord. And then they had 24 days to get to March 14th, the day of uh, Artaxerxes' uh, decree, and you get the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that long-awaited day, Palm Sunday, April the 6th, 32 A.D. Wow. Now, I saw some figures, Jim Boyce writes of some, and some others, and they go, and they don't, don't even if it is a solar calendar, it ends up being around 37. But that is late. That is late. If you pay. I really believe it's right, especially then when he starts talking about uh, the last uh, half, and it really coincides well with the book of Revelation. I'd like to recommend a couple of books. Jim Boyce's book on Daniel is good. Uh, Ava J. McLean, I know, Paul, you just picked this up. 
Daniel's 70, Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks. If you like all the detail and study on that, uh, a, gr a great text on it. Uh, Dr. John Wickham's uh, commentary on the uh, book of Daniel uh, is another one in the Every, Every Man's Bible commentary series. If you like to crunch through the numbers and see that, well, Jesus exclaimed, the, uh, on that day, if, if only you had known this day. Don't read over it that quickly. I really think that this is, he's saying, this is the day. I mean, it was no surprise to God. Oh, Jesus, I didn't know why you, why are you in Jerusalem? No, it's on the unfolding of the exact plan of God. If you had only known this day, the day of God's visitation, verse 44, Isaiah 46.10. Can I read that to you? Write that down. 46.8 through 10. Let's back it up a couple. Isaiah 46.8 through 10. Isaiah writes, Remember this and stand firm and recall it to mind, you, you transgressors, you sinners. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. How's that? declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Wow, God's amazing timetable reveals that he has everything, everything in his hands. Your life, your problems, your issues, all of it. You think it's too great or that God is somehow too far away or his arm too short to save? He hears all, knows all, and he's ordering your steps in mind for his glory. Whether we live this long or this long, it doesn't matter. Whether we live, we're the Lord. Whether we die, we're the Lord. And to die and be with Jesus is much better by far, Paul says. Wow. But more than that, more than this amazing timetable on this extraordinary day, the second observation of this is that Jesus' tears reveal the great, God's great love for us, even us. He sees the city, the text says in Luke 9, and he weeps. Now, he's, he's, he's not looking at the temple mount. He's not looking at, oh, there's the wall, oh, or the windows, oh. No, he's looking at people. He's looking at people. And his heart breaks. In fulfillment of the ancient prophecy, Jesus rode the colt on a mule on the Mount of Olives into the city. Maybe it's a mile, mile and a half down. I've walked that and then up into the eastern gate and thought about all of these thoughts there in Jerusalem. This was Passover, and there are two, two and a half, three million, we can trust the words of Josephus, gathered at Jerusalem at this time. It thronging crowds that overswelled the holy city. I remind you also that within just a few days ago, Jesus had raised Lazarus in Bethany, which was a stone's throw away. Now imagine the excitement. Lazarus had been dead. It was well known. And then all of a sudden, Lazarus even had a meal with him after God raised him. And it rippled out the excitement moving among the grapevine, you can imagine that, the swirling and Passover and people from all over the known world coming to remember that, throngs of people walking toward the city and second group coming out of the eastern gate to meet Jesus. I mean, it was electrifying, electrifying. Wow. I, 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 Faith and I have a habit, and uh, most of the years on New Year's Eve we'll turn on uh, and watch 
you know, watch the change of the year and all of that. And this year I heard, and I don't know if it's true, somebody have to tell me, with the throngs of the people there, Mark, maybe you guys know with Daniel, I don't know, but they said that was security was so tight there that, that they came hours and hours ahead of time to be able to get in to that Times Square area and the throngs of people that... Uh, they didn't have enough bathroom facilities and they had to hand out diapers to people because they couldn't use the facility. Once you were in, you couldn't go out. So it changed the way Faith and I were watching those people jumping around wondering what really they were excited about and, <laughs> and they could hardly move. Now, I don't know if that's true and I certainly hope it's not true, but I mean, it's a strange, strange world we live in, right, Master Jack? Anyway, throngs of people. That was, they said, a million people there in Times Square on that. Here's several million people overswelling this ancient holy city. And Jesus comes in now riding on the, uh, this, this colt of a donkey. It was this day that was finally arrived. And the crowds be honored Jesus with palm branches and with their coats. And they begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. To, to you, you, that may not mean much, but that was the long-awaited messianic psalm. It was, it was the one that they were to sing when the Messiah would visit them. And that's why the religious unbelievers, the Pharisees, they were going crazy. They were like crazy men when they heard the crowds calling this out. Hosanna, now, Hosanna is here. It means he will save us. He will save us. And here in the scene comes Jesus riding down and they're cutting branches and the, the cloaks and he's sitting on, they placed him on it and he's coming and he's, it's the heralding and it's just an incredible scene. Blessed is he who comes. I mean, when you see that, you know that something is very different here. For if the people were told in the words of Jesus did not praise him that God would cause the stones. He's pointing, there's rocks everywhere there. He probably, the stones will cry out. You think that God could make stones cry out? How many think that? I think that in a moment. That's not an issue. And it, I mean, it was the extraordinary day where the Lord was, seemed to... to um, Deflect praise, didn't want it all. But this is the day. A day like no other. I can't stop them from praising. Even the children were singing. And if they stop, all creation will shout. Awaiting this day as creation groans and waits for its final redemption. It's Jesus seeing the city, hearing all the praise, begins to weep loudly. What a, what a, what a scene. I mean, they're praising, they're high-fiving, they're celebrating. It's unbelievable. And here comes our Lord. And he's not just a little tear. I mean, he's... I'm not given to much crying. Quite a lot when my father died and at other times. Um, but... Uh, not, not really, but I will tell you this. <laughs> uh, our, my Greg, my son-in-law, is writing a wonderful book. And uh, I was reading a bit last night to Faithy about it. And, uh, and Greg uh, recounts a lot of his medical work uh, in this book. And once it's available, we'll make it available to you. 
but he tells a story through his father um, uh, about when his father was in general surgery training about a man who uh, had a mass uh, and was inoperable and he was talking to the chief surgeon and uh, the mass was so close to the artery that while he was talking, the chief surgeon, and my dad was there as an under, a junior surgeon student or something, he, the man, all of his, his wife is there, and the man coughed up blood. He was there and just a little bit of blood on his tissue. And then he coughed up a little bit more blood. And he said, my dad said this, I watched this, it was... It was, a, it was a very heavy situation, and all of a sudden, the man, all of a sudden, just blood everywhere. The artery had burst where the mass was, and there was blood all over the chief of surgeon. And the man talked about, and his dad said, at that moment, we all knew the man was dying. And he took his Kleenex, and he went over and he began to wipe the blood off the chief of surgery. I, I, I don't know. I, I read some of it when Faithy was in surgery and all that. But then I read through a lesson. I just, I, I couldn't, I, I knew what was coming. And I, I sat on the couch. I could, couldn't read it. I was crying. I'm not giving the tears. And Greg's point was that there's something deep inside that man that ought to be inside of a maturing believer that just comes out. It's not acting. It's not putting out. It's, it's walking with Jesus all the years, and it just comes out, and he's wiping the blood off the surgeon in his kindness before he passed. Jesus is weeping here. I, I, I think that's... That's a world so much bigger than even the timetable of God that it just causes me woe and wonder and glory. You see, Jesus knew that their praise was shallow. In a few days, oh, the crowd. Don't you love the crowd? They're gonna, he knows they're going to yell, crucify him. And he looks through the time and he knows that the city is going to be utterly destroyed and many of them would be slaughtered and their children and their praise was superficial, and that would be it. Well, what can we say? Lessons for our life, or so what? What difference does this make, or should this make, this Palm Sunday, this extraordinary day, a day like no other? Well, number one, be encouraged. For God is in control of this old sinful world. It's not running out of control. And he'll bring about the end according to his plan in time, and do you know, it will be on the exact day that he's already determined. We get hints of it when we, we read of, of that only the Father knows the exact day that Jesus will return. I mean, the plan is out there. It's not running helter-skelter. I take great comfort in that. That I'm a part of God's plan. And he's doing a full length, and I'm just a few seconds here. And, and Eternity is a long time. God's in charge. I worship him. Wow, on the exact day. Be encouraged. I said, number two, be amazed at the wonder of God's wonderful word. I mean, it's worthy of all your confidence, all your trust. The world will tear it apart and stamp on it and all that. They hate God and they hate his word, and Satan does. Has God said as he echoed through the centuries of time? Our God is a God of details. 
And the closer you look at what he has done, I don't care if it's the physical realm, the realm of science, or history, or things in your the closer you look, the more amazed you will be. But he is God, and he is great, and you are not, and I am not. And he is not God on a string. I mean, there was a day when Job was very upset at God and felt he got treated unjustly and complained to God. Remember that? How did God answer Job? You remember? He simply asked him 70 questions that blew Job right away. And he realized afresh, I'm not even going to open my mouth. I repent that God is great and we are not. Be amazed at his word. Be amazed at our God. The closer you look at what he has done in the biochemical, molecular, astrophysics, theological realm of our bio, it doesn't matter. All truth is God's truth. You will be amazed. Number three, today we're still in the gap. We're in the gap. We're the church age, the mystery. Ephesians 2, it's, uh, the clock stopped after the 69th week. After the 69th week, it said that the Messiah would be cut off, death. The final week is yet to come, and that's Revelation 16 through 19, the seven years of the tribulation. And you should know, as the Bible says, what time it is in God's wonderful redemptive plan. The old song when we were kids, does anybody know what time it is? Who was that, Chicago or someone? I don't know. Was that right? I should ask Roger. <laughs> Don't sing it, Roger. But we should know more than what time it is. And Oh my, it's getting late here. Uh, we should know what it is according to biblical chronology. Number four, consider deeply God's love and compassion for you, for me. What scoundrels we are. And that's a good day. <laughs> he loves us with an unending love. He says in Paul's prayer in Ephesians 2, consider the height and the depth and the width and the range of God's love for you. Demonstrated, displayed at Calvary. We used to say, I'd say to my kids when they were growing up, Daddy loves you this much. And that's how much God loves us. For at Calvary, his son went this much and was nailed to that cross. Find your security in Him alone. It is the place of safety. And number five and last, today, the door of salvation is still open. It will close. It will close. Have you received Christ the Lord as your Lord and Savior? I urge you, don't delay, for tomorrow may be too late. Ask Him to be merciful unto you, a sinner. Receive Him as your Lord. Don't you too miss the day of God's visitation. Don't miss it. Well, as we move through this week, and you know Palm Sunday is coming, you're already ready. Ready? Already ready? What an extraordinary day that is. Praise God. He has all our days mapped out, even before we lived one of them. I mean, wait, did we choose to be Americans? Did we choose to live now? I didn't. Did I choose to be in the family? Some of you say, like, I never would have chose that. You know, like, <laughs> we're, and yeah, God put us together. But I, God has put us together. God is working here. It's God's doing to his glory. Shall we stand and be dismissed? Father, thank you so much for the word of God. Thank you for these holy days leading up to the, to the death and burial and resurrection of our Lord. 
Lord, may we leave this place with joy in our heart, knowing that our safety is in you only and always, even as we see the extraordinary day that they long planned for, that day of Palm Sunday. We love you. Make us a blessing to all we meet. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.